Have you ever been in the room with someone great? Maybe you're at a banquet or you're sitting across the table and somebody that you recognize as being famous or accomplished sits down. Or maybe you stood in a line at an autograph session to see one of your favorite athletes. But have you ever been in the room with someone great? If you're like me, there's this tension that almost exists. I think it's a false tension, but like you sit up a little straighter, right? Like, there's a, like you want to make sure you don't say anything stupid, right? Like while they're with you. You're, you're, there's, there's like almost an energy in the room. Like one time I was having lunch with Tom Watson. You guys know Tom Watson. He was the just accomplished golfer, won the British Open. And Tom and I were having lunch. Well, actually, I was at this table having lunch, and Tom was at this table having lunch. We both were having lunch at the same time, not together. But I remember talking to my buddy who knew, who knew Tom. We were playing, at, playing golf with, with some friends, and I said, hey, you know, can you introduce me to Tom? You know, introduce me to Tom, and I'm just rattled. And I'm nervous, right? I'm like sweating and I'm standing up super tall and I'm like trying to be all proper and Tom finishes his lunch and leaves before I can get introduced to him and missed opportunity, right? But you ever been there in a a moment around someone who is accomplished and you feel like, man, there's something to this person. But how many of you have been in a situation where you end up, you're talking with somebody that just seems like a regular person and then all of a sudden in the conversation you realize, wow, this person actually is pretty great. This happened to me actually last week. I, I was at a fundraiser and Hallie and I were at this, this fundraiser at Front Range Christian School. And there, there's a the speaker there that day. He's a doctor of physical therapy. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting. Some of you might know who this is. I had no idea. And, and so I get introduced to this guy. His name's David Bruton. And I was like, oh, man, cool, you know, physical therapy. Tell me about that. I was like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Ohio. Cool. Well, who is your team that you rooted for in Ohio? Well, you know, I rooted for Michigan, but I went to Notre Dame. How did you go to Notre Dame? That's interesting. Why there? Well, my high school coach recommended I go there. Oh, really? Well, how was the team when you were in Notre Dame? Well, we were pretty good. You know, went to a few bowl games. You know, okay, cool. And later on, I said, man, so, so why again did you go to Notre Dame? Well, because Michigan wanted me to play linebacker, and I wanted to play safety. So you played? You know, like, I'm, just, I'm, I'm clueless, right? So you, you played football? Yeah, yeah, I played. You play all four years? Yeah, I played all four years. Okay, cool. Yeah, hey, man, nice to meet you. And then he gets introduced. Eight-year NFL veteran, Super Bowl 50 champion, <laughs> David Bruton. And I'm like, oh, dang, how did I not know this? I'm living in Denver. And so I had to go up later and say, hey, can Hallie take a picture with your Super Bowl ring? So Hallie's actually got his Super Bowl ring in hand there. And there is Dr. David Bruton, who I had no idea who he was, but he was an awesome guy. Have you guys ever been like that situation where you're talking and you realize the person you're talking to, they've accomplished a lot. But actually, this person is pretty great. See, it makes me wonder, what would it have been like to be alive when Jesus walked the earth? Like, what would it have been like to be with Jesus and and be there in a moment when you look at Jesus and you're like, something's different about this guy. He seemed like a regular guy, but something's different. And then to to begin to realize, like, who he actually is. Like, who is this Jesus guy? Well, today we're actually going to get to see uh, an account in Luke chapter 9 where this very thing happens. Where, where Jesus takes his, his, his three closest friends and he takes them up on a mountain and he reveals something crazy powerful about himself, who he is, why he came. And it's in this moment that the disciples' lives change. And I think for, for you and me, I think for, for us, 
if we can slow down and we can look at this, our lives can change too. There's so much that, that can take place when we realize greatness is right before us. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at this. It's in Luke chapter 9. See, the past few weeks, if you've been with us, we, we've been uh, working through a series called Heaven Came Down. And we've said that the best way to get to know somebody, to get to know who they really are, is to spend time with them. The best way we get to know who somebody is and why they're here and what they're all about is to not just spend time with them, but to listen to what they have to say about themselves. And so we've been kind of navigating some of the, the beautiful realities that Jesus reveals to his disciples, that he is the Messiah, that he's the light of the world. And today we're going to look at what seems to be like a really obscure story of Jesus with Peter, James, and John on a mountain. But there's some powerful truths in here for us to look at. So let's look at this here, Luke chapter 9. Uh, just a little bit of a review here. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is like, referred to him as the doctor, the good doctor, right? Luke, he's a physician. And he took into account this desire to write the book of Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts to provide a historical account of the life of Jesus. And so Luke is narrating for us, and he's giving us so many different details. And each of those details are so important. And so as we have really navigated this, we see that Jesus, by the time he enters his ministry, he's about 30 years old, and he starts doing these miracles. He turns water into wine. He, he starts to get a following. He chooses 12 disciples to, to follow him. But there was about 70 that really were part of this big group that followed him around. And there, there was a lot of thoughts about who Jesus was. And if you guys watch The Chosen in season two, you, you see this really beautifully played out because it, it, they expected the Messiah to come and to get rid of the opposition of Rome. No more oppression. They expected the Messiah to come, the Savior that God sent, and he was going to set things right with the country to make them a world power again, to make them great and free. And so they were so excited. These disciples were so excited because this is who they thought Jesus was. And Jesus would say these weird things, though. He would say these really obscure comments like, well, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the kingdom of God is like that. And they're going, well, hold on, what about the kingdom of Israel? But, but Jesus says, well, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a, a man who finds a treasure in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who lost a coin. And there's all these really obscure, interesting parables and stories he told about the kingdom of heaven. And so they thought they were waiting for a king. I don't know that they thought they were waiting for God. And so that's what's so powerful about this exchange we're going to see here in Luke chapter 9. So notice this. In Luke chapter 9, real quick, Jesus had just asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Two weeks ago we saw this. Peter says, you're the, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the Christ. And Jesus is like, yes. And I'm going to build my church on this mountain, and I'm going to give you the keys to it. And so then Jesus says this, but if you want to follow me, there's something you need to do. Notice this. Luke chapter 9, verses, starting in verse 23, he said this. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Hold on to that. And the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Verse 27, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here today, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, you want to follow me? Here's how it looks like. And some of you today who are standing right here, you're going to see the kingdom of God come. It's like, oh man, this is exciting. This is beautiful. And then look at verse 28. Here's our story for today. And then in Luke 9, 28, 
Now, about eight days after these things took place, so about a week later, he took, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Okay, now what's going on here, right? Like how many of you have been with a friend who you're just talking and all of a sudden they just change color, right? Anybody? Like, you know, like just start, da- maybe if like they saw a ghost or something, like a spider, right? Or like a snake, you know, or like a 1962 Cobra Shelby, right? You might kind of, oh yeah, that's beautiful, right? But like, no, people don't just normally like dazzling white. So something's up here. We need to pay attention to, to why. This section here is called, if, if you've probably seen your Bible, the transfiguration. Somebody say transfiguration. So this is a, a pretty famous story that I don't know about you, but I could never make any sense of it, right? It's like, man, this is a super cool story. Like, this is awesome. I have no idea what it means though, Right? That's why we're going to look at it today, because I think it unfolds these beautiful truths. The word transfiguration means metamorpho. Somebody say metamorpho. It's kind of fun to say, right? Metamorpho. So it means a change from one form to another. So metamorphosis comes from this word, right? Caterpillar to a butterfly. So it's always seemed like a really cool story, but I guess what's this all about? Well, there's a clue here in verse 27. Look back. Verse 27 again. See, remember, Jesus says, Some of you standing here today are going to see the kingdom of God before you die. Now, that's an interesting statement because there's been a lot of thoughts about this. See, in the early church, after Jesus went to the cross, rose from the grave, and and ascended into heaven, there was all these thoughts about Jesus. Like, when is Jesus coming back? And and the belief was that Jesus was going to come back then. Like, Jesus was going to come back before in that generation before they passed away. And so people were, were literally expecting Jesus to return any moment. And a, lot of, and a lot of it was based on these statements like this. Like some of you are going to see the kingdom of God before you pass away. And so when, they, when Jesus didn't come back after that generation, there's been a, thought, a lot of thoughts then. So, you know, what, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus could be saying uh, different things like maybe he came back and we didn't know it. That didn't happen. But some people actually think that. Um, or some people are saying, well, Jesus said the end of the age was really when Nero came in Rome and it changed everything. But see, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. As I begin studying for this sermon and looking at what the transfiguration is, I believe what Jesus was revealing in the transfiguration was that the kingdom of heaven was here. See, when Jesus said that some of you who are standing here today will not taste death before you see the kingdom of heaven, he was talking about Peter, James, and John. Because he was going to take them up on the mountaintop. And he was going to reveal the kingdom of heaven was here. Does that make sense? That Jesus was revealing that that the kingdom of heaven wasn't this far off thing that was just going to happen someday when Jesus came back. No, the kingdom of heaven was brought by Jesus. And he's revealing the depth and the beauty of the kingdom of heaven to Peter, James, and John on this mountain. He shows them something beautiful. He shows them the glory of God. Years ago, um, one of the enemy football teams to the Broncos was doing a renovation to their home stadium, and I got invited to come take a part of it. And so we were living in Kansas City at the time, and so we were able to go up, wear hard hats, and walk around some of the new club area. We were going to see the new owner suites and all these beautiful things. It was really cool. And then, of course, after that, they asked us if we wanted to spend $100,000 on a box, but which we said... No, but it, it was pretty cool to be able to see the, the, the construction, and we got to take a sneak peek at what was to come. 
Think about Peter, James, and John, right? Like they, they are in this moment with Jesus when Jesus turns dazzlingly white. And they don't get it, and none of us would have got it. But looking back, what they can see is they got a sneak peek to the kingdom. They got to see Jesus in his true nature. This picture of Jesus with his clothes changed, he was revealing something really important about himself. There's a really cool story in the book of Daniel. Anybody just love the book of Daniel? By the way, if you, if you guys love the OT, Daniel is a really cool place to camp out. It doesn't make any sense half the time, but it's so cool, right? There's so much good imagery, and lean into it, and you can begin to understand by reading Revelation about how much Daniel is prophesying about Jesus and what the, uh, the coming of Jesus will look like one day. Well, there's this really cool story in Daniel chapter 7 where Daniel says this. He says he has this vision, and he looks up, and he sees the Ancient of Days. That's another name for God in, in the book of Daniel, Ancient of Days, which is a super cool name. The Ancient of Days. And he sees the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days, his, he says his hair is white like snow. His clothing was white like snow, and his hair was like pure wool, right? Then it says this, that, and behold, on the clouds of heaven there came like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom. All peoples and all nations and all languages should serve him in everlasting dominion, which will never pass away. Okay, that was 600 years before Jesus was born. Daniel has this vision of, of the Son of Man coming in on the clouds, approaching the Ancient of Days, God, the Heavenly Father, and God bestowing upon him this kingdom. 600 years before. And now we see Jesus on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the picture we see is that his clothes and his face start to shine and his clothes turn dazzling white. Are these two things related? Absolutely. This is what Daniel saw. This is what Daniel saw this handing off, this Jesus bringing the, the, the kingdom. And so why did the color change? Why did Jesus appear dazzling white? Because he was showing off his glory, the glory of God. The word glory is like a weird word, right? Like, if I asked you to describe glory, how would you describe glory? Like, it's, it's hard to, right? Like, what would you say? Fame? Greatness? An incredible situation that happened that made you famous? The word glory in, in the Hebrew means heavy or weighty. The word is kavod. Somebody say that, kavod. Kavod. It is weighty and heavy and big and beautiful. You ever pick up something and you pick it up and you're like, wow, that's a cheap piece of junk, right? Because it's super light. And you pick up something else and you're like, oh, man, that's made well, right? It's probably just like a bunch of rocks and iron in it, but it feels good, right? It's nice and heavy, like weighty. We pay attention when things are weighty. I, had a, I got an opportunity one time to, when we were down in New Orleans, I got to see a rocket booster for the Saturn V rocket, right? Gene's back there like, I don't, we can't talk about this, right? We can't, we can't talk about this right now. But, but I, I wasn't with Gene at the time, right? I was with somebody else. And so I got to see this rocket booster. And this rocket booster now is at the gate when you go in to um, it, the, the NASA facility down by New Orleans. And it's it is huge. You have no idea how big this thing is. Like, if you look, you see the little ladder behind it? Like, that's, a, that's a probably, I don't know, Gene, you tell me. That's probably a 25-foot ladder, right? Like, this thing is so big. You stand up next to this thing, and you're just like, wow. This thing is massive. This thing is, was what put 
some of the Apollo missions into space. And there's something about standing next to something that's so big and that's so heavy that puts things into perspective. Jesus is on this mountain, and he's revealing to Peter, James, and John something that they really can't understand, our minds can't get wrapped around, but that Jesus is God, that Jesus is, has the glory of God. But then Jesus stepped in and was born as a baby and lived this life like us, and we don't see his glory, but he revealed it to them so they could get this sneak peek you know, there's this picture throughout the Old Testament of like God's glory being seen through like smoke and through clouds. And you know, like in Isaiah 6, Isaiah says he walks into the throne room of God and it's like filled with smoke. And there's these angels who are like covering their eyes and covering their feet with wings, saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? It's just smoke. You see, smoke, it's like glory. This picture that Daniel gives us about Jesus coming on the clouds. Jesus refers to that later in the Gospels when he's getting ready to go to the cross and he gets arrested, coming out in the clouds of power, right? So there's this picture of like clouds, glory, dazzling whiteness. And that's what we see here. John looks back and he says this later. Look at this, John 1.14. He's talking about Jesus in the very beginning of the book of John as he writes his, his narrative of how Jesus lived. And he says that, and the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And we have seen his what, church? Glory. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John says, we saw that on the mountain. We literally saw God's glory and it was powerful and it was beautiful. And we didn't know what to do with it at the time because it was too much for us to imagine. Now you might wonder, okay, it's really cool for John and it's really cool for James and Peter, but what does that really mean for us? Like we weren't there. Like, what does that mean? Well, we, we can step back in time by reading Luke 9 and by listening to what John and, and Peter say, but you might, might wonder, what, what does this mean? Here's what this means. James and John and Peter didn't follow Jesus for three years, watch him go to the cross and rise from the grave and, and, and just think that he was some cute fairy tale. Like Jesus wasn't Jack and the Beanstalk. He, didn't, he wasn't Jack the Giant Slayer, Right? James and John and Jesus got to see a sneak peek of who Jesus truly was and that Jesus is God. And what that means is that Jesus is big and he's heavy and he's full of God's glory. And that means that Jesus is the, the, the part of the Trinity. And it's hard for our minds to get around this, but the idea is this side of heaven we'll never truly understand, but the transfiguration gives us a glimpse of his beauty. And that means he is due all respect and all worthiness and all honor. I like what S.D. Gordon says. He says this. This is so good. He says that Jesus was God spelling himself out in language humanity could understand. I mean, we can't get our minds wrapped around how big God is and how amazing God is. So he came and he showed himself to these three, just these three, to give them a, a sneak peek a foretaste of what was to come. And here's what this means for us. This is what this means for, for you and I. It means this, that Jesus revealing his glory shows us that he is deserving of all honor, praise, and admiration. Like he's not a throwaway. He's not a Polly Pocket. He's not a, he's not a, a, you know, a genie that you rub the bottle on. He's not a magic fairy sprinkling pixie dust on you when you want something. Now, like Jesus is the glory of God. He's so big. 
He's so, he's so kavod. Say that again. It's just so fun. Kavod. So I, I, I guess my question is, like, how, how, do you, how do you respond to that in your life? You ever been to a baseball game and you see like Albert Pujols hit a home run and they do a curtain call, right? Cheer and cheer and cheer and he comes out. Or you go to the concert and you see your favorite band and what do you do at the very end? Well, back in the day, y'all used to use your lighters, right? Now we just use our phone cameras. But, you know, you guys remember the lighter days, right? Waiting for the encore. And so, and so, you know, and then the Chili Peppers come out and they play two more songs and it's amazing in the rain, right? Like, you guys know what it looks like to give honor and praise and admiration. Are we giving that to Jesus? Seriously. I want you to ask yourself that. Are we going through our day thinking, man, Jesus is cool. Man, thank you, Jesus, for that. That's cool. Or are we giving him honor? Are we, are we cheering the Chili Peppers or Albert Pujols or whoever, name it, name your, name your athlete? Are we, are we cheering them more than we're cheering Jesus? Like, are we giving Jesus the admiration that he's due? I want that to hang on us this week because as we prepare for Christmas, we're one week away. Why not start today? Why not start today and give him the honor and the admiration and the respect that, he's, that, he, that he does? Because as we do, or that he deserves, because as we do, it changes our hearts. It changes us from the inside out. It becomes this beautiful thing. So, so notice, Jesus is on the mountain with these three. He's dazzling white. They don't understand it. And then all of a sudden, he's not by himself anymore. This is really interesting. Look at verse 30. All of a sudden, Jesus isn't alone. It says this, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he had, was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Okay, so imagine how crazy this is. I want you to think. Who is your favorite whatever? Maybe it's Tom Cruise, right? Or whoever it is. It's Adele. Just imagine like seeing your favorite person right in front of you. You know, it's Mick Jagger. I don't know, right? Like, you know, somebody great, right? <laughs> um, Lewis Hamilton. And, and then it's going to be, you know, right, you're going to go out and you're going to see these beautiful, uh, this beautiful moment of people that you respect and honor. Like Elijah and Moses were the, like, the, the, the greatest characters of the Old Testament, and suddenly they're right here in front of them, in front of them, with Jesus. And you got to think, like, what? Are you serious? Like, imagine being Peter. Like, Peter probably fanboyed over Elijah and Moses like people were fanboying over the Beatles in the 60s or the Backstreet Boys when Ron was in high school, right? Like, you know, there is just this, I don't know if you like the Backstreet Boys or not, but I mean, they were pretty popular, right? <laughs> back in the day. Imagine, like, they're like, wow, this is Elijah. This is Moses. And there's a unique connection here. It's not just like God was like, hey, you guys aren't doing anything. Go out there and see Jesus real quick, right? Like, like there's a really important reason here, because when you look at the, at the Old Testament, these are the two most famous characters. One representing, Moses representing the law. He was God's prophet, right? He was, he was God's handwriter. He was the one that spoke the, the, the Pentateuch into existence, God's law. He led God's people out of Egypt. And then Elijah was viewed as one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet, but one of the greatest prophets. And so there's this picture that like these two guys are, are, are really the, uh, the culmination of the Old Testament. Like Moses and, and Elijah also had these mountaintop experiences with God. You guys remember in Exodus where Moses is like, God, show me your glory. And God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. He's like, Moses, you can't see my face or you'll die, but I'll let you see my, my shadow. There's a story where Elijah, where God calls Elijah up on the Mount Carmel, and he rains down fire on the, uh, the, the wood and uh, the, the, the shows that the pagan gods of, of Baal were, were nothing. 
But Elijah never got to see God. And so there's this like beautiful picture here, like, wow, these two guys that had these mountaintop experiences are now getting to see God face to face. Isn't that cool? On top of a mountain, by the way. Also, Moses, when he died, was buried by God. You know, God said, Joshua, you know, and, and her, you guys stay over here. I'm going to go bury, bury Moses. And also, Elisha never, or Elijah, make sure you don't miss that one. Elijah, not Elisha. I know it's confusing. Elijah never died. It says that God actually picked him up in a whirlwind of fire. And so these are two guys that you're like, did they really die? You know? And here they are back with Jesus on the top of this mountain. So hold on to that. That's interesting. But here's where I think this comes together. If you ask, why these two? Like, why these two guys? And I think it's this. Moses wrote the law. He was viewed as the law. Elijah was one of the chief prophets. And so the the authority of life at the time that Jesus was walking the earth was the, the Old Testament, and it was Moses and the prophets. And so Jesus referred to the law and the prophets all the time, and that was the reference to God's word. That's all that existed at that point was the law and the prophets. Well, it just happens to be that on the mountain, when Jesus is revealing that the kingdom of heaven is here, he's got the man that represents the law and the man that represents the prophets with him at the same time. You guys catching on to what's going on here? And so at this moment, there was also this view that at the end of the age, that Moses and Elijah would return. Okay? Catch this. This is good. This is good. So don't miss this. What Jesus was showing us by being on the mountain, showing the glory of God, and right there with Jesus is Moses and Elijah. Jesus is showing that the kingdom of heaven is here, and the end of the age has come. That the end of the old covenant has come, and it's the start of the new. You might say, well, what's the old covenant? And this is the importance, I think, of the greater story. Like, if you guys have been with us for the last year, we've been working through the greater story. And this is the importance of being able to see what God is saying, how he ties together all of the things he promised through Jesus. And so the old covenant was the agreement that God made with his people. And you can read about it through all the Old Testament. It's the sacrificial system. It was the, the rule keeping. It was, it was all of the, um, you know, the ordinances. And the idea was that it would help protect and bless God's people if they follow these rules. That, that was the old covenant. And in this old covenant, you, you continue to see all these signals pointing forward to something new that, that is coming. And now that this mountaintop experience, Jesus is standing there with Moses and Elijah, and he's showing the kingdom of heaven is now here, and the old covenant is now gone. It's time for the new covenant. See, the new covenant is the promise that God makes, that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship to those whose hearts are turned towards him. And so Jesus is saying, guys, the reason I am here, the reason I am here with Moses and Elijah, the reason I'm showing you my glory is to show you the kingdom of heaven is here. And I'm now the one that has come to give you new hearts, hearts made of flesh. And I am the one who's now come to write the law of God on your hearts because you don't have to keep it anymore. But instead, follow me. Turn your heart towards me because it's now a covenant of grace. It's not a covenant of rule keeping. It's a covenant of grace. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus, he's signaling this change. So here's, I think, a takeaway for us on this. It's, it's, it, Jesus is wanting to show us here is that he is the lens to view all of God's word through. 
Like in this moment, Jesus is showing us with Moses and Elijah that Jesus is the one to view all of the law through and all of the Old Testament prophecies through. That Jesus is the one that came and fulfilled them. And if you go back and look, you see that the Old Testament is full of all these types and shadows. The sacrificial system was pointing towards Jesus. That one day there would be one Lamb of God who would come and take away the sins of the world. The, the Old Testament shadows and, the, and all this was pointing forward to the one that would come to fix what was broken. The, the Old Testament promise, promises are fulfilled in Jesus because he is the yes and amen. The Old Testament prophecies were saying that Jesus is the one that's going to come. So let me ask you, like when, you're, when you're looking at God's word, when you're reading the Old Testament, are you looking at it through the lens that they were pointing towards Jesus? There's this really cool story in uh, the end of the book of Luke where Jesus rises from the grave, or, and the disciples don't know where he is yet. And there's two disciples, and they're on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, this dude shows up to him. He starts talking to him, and he starts explaining to them all of the scriptures and how they pointed forward to Jesus, how Jesus fulfilled them all. And they didn't realize it was Jesus talking to them until they sat down for lunch, and they realize it's Jesus, and all of a sudden, he, he vanishes. But Jesus explained to them how everything in the Old Testament was pointing to him. So now imagine, this is Elijah, and this is Moses on the mountain with Jesus. And you know what they're saying? They're going, what's up, JC? How you doing, man? Like, we've been waiting for a very long time for this to happen, right? Like, Jesus, how you feeling? Like, they're talking about his departure, right? They're like, how long have we been waiting for this? We've been waiting for this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And now we're here. All that we wrote about you is getting ready to happen. How exciting, right? It's like right before the big game. All right, Jesus, let me just kind of give you some cheers and rah-rah. And so I think what Jesus wants us to see by revealing this to Peter, James, and John is that we need to look back and see that everything that was written in the Old Testament was all pointing forward to Jesus. And so let's read it through that lens. And Jesus is saying, the old covenant's gone, guys. It's time for the new covenant. The new covenant is here. So imagine you're there, Right? And you're picturing this, and you're seeing Moses, and you're seeing Elijah, and you're seeing Jesus there. It'd be like me seeing George Brett, Patrick Mahomes, and Slash, and Tim Keller, like all together, right? Which that would be like the craziest combination of people. What would you say? What do you say in that moment? Well, Peter said something. And it, I love Peter, right? Because he never really knows what to say, but he always says something, right? Notice what Peter says here. It says that those who were with him, they were in this heavy sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting with him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Right? Isn't that great? Like I love Luke's. Like yeah, He didn't know what he was talking about. Someday God's going to be like to, to me. He's like, you, you never, you always are putting your foot in your mouth, right? You know what you're talking about. So imagine this. Peter's like, I don't know what to do, but hey, let me build you guys some, some shelters. Like, he doesn't want to go camping. He wants to build them little tabernacles so that they can rest in, right? We talked about the tabernacle, the, the Feast of Tabernacles last week, right? He wants to build these little booths so they can rest in. And, and I want you to see what happens. So this is cool. This is really cool. So it, it's not, Peter's, what Peter asked for isn't bad. Peter's like, hey, can we worship you guys? Like, this is really, this is really special. And notice what happens. Notice what happens. This is so good. God actually speaks from heaven. And he's kind of like, Peter, I love your idea, but it's not really what this is about. So notice what God says. God actually speaks from heaven. He says this, this is verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, 
my chosen one, listen to him. Like, like, how cool is that? Like, Peter, James, and John, and there's this, like, booming voice, this is my son, you know? Sounds like thunder. Just had to have been so awesome. And I think God is saying, Peter, this isn't the time for Jesus to rest. Jesus has work to do, so listen to him, because he's my son. He's the, the son of God. So cool. It's a sneak peek at who Jesus is. And so notice this. Peter looks back. Peter looks back years later, and he says this in 2 Peter 1. I'm going to read this real quick for you. He says this. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were, what church? Eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Jesus brought the three of them up there so they could see this, this sneak peek where heaven and earth collided, where there was this unfolding like Dr. Strange and Spider-Man, right? You start to see them all come together. And Jesus is there. And God speaks, and they hear it, and they're eyewitnesses to confirm it. Did you know in, in, in biblical law, if you wanted to, to accuse somebody of something, or if you wanted to, to bring somebody as a testimony in court, you had to have two to three witnesses. That was the biblical law. How many people are on the mountain with Jesus? Three. Jesus is bringing them there to be eyewitnesses. Of, of who he is and why he came. And when God speaks, it puts it all to full and into full motion that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. And there's a really cool truth here, I think, for us. Jesus reveals heaven and earth right there in that moment. Jesus re- unfolds uh, so Peter, James, and John can see who he really is. And I think the reality here in our life, too, is that Jesus is constantly giving us previews of the coming reality of living in the kingdom of God. Like, the question is, are we looking for them? The, the question is, are, are, are we paying attention? Because Jesus is constantly giving us little sneak peeks to what it's going to look like when, when, we, when we follow him with all of our hearts, when, when we're pursuing him. It's like eating cookie dough, right, when it's on the little spinners before, what are those things even called? You know what I'm talking about? Spinners? Beater. Beaters? Whatever, the spinners. So, you know, it's like when you're eating the cookie dough on the little spinner before you put the cookies in the oven, right? It's like a foretaste, right? You get this little, this little taste. Jesus is always giving us these little foretastes of the kingdom. But are you paying attention? Are you looking for them? Are you seeing them? Because as God's kingdom becomes more and more real for us on this earth, we become looking more and more and looking forward more and more to how real it will truly be, how good it will truly be. Okay, so, so now there's this, there's this crazy encounter on the mountaintop, and I want, you to, I want to close with how Matthew recounts this. Notice this in Matthew 17. Don't flip there. I'll put the words on the screen. This is good. He says, when the disciples heard this, okay, they hear God's word, right? This is my son, right? And he, like, it's just loud. It's like thunder. I'm sure on the ground everybody else heard thunder. And so now they fall face down. Notice this. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces, and they were terrified. But Jesus came, and he touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Imagine that. They're so afraid. They heard God's voice. And Jesus bends down. And I imagine he puts his hand on James' shoulder. He's like, 
Go ahead and stand up. You guys don't have anything to fear. You know, in the Bible, we see that anytime somebody comes into contact with God or an angel, it's like the scariest moment of their life. For you, like some of you guys get scared when you see spiders, right? Just imagine like if you saw an angel, right? Or you see God, like it'd be like the scariest moment of your life. Think of the shepherds. You know, the, the Christmas story, the shepherds are in the field, right? And the angels come and all of a sudden there's this like majestic thousands and thousands of angels in the sky. What does it say the shepherds did? They fell down in fear, right? But do you remember what the angels said to the shepherds? They, they said, fear not, for behold, I, will bring, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And isn't that what Jesus is doing? He's saying, James, John, Peter, don't be afraid. Because I'm bringing good news. And I'm bringing great joy for all the people. Because I am God in the flesh. And I'm here to bring this new covenant of grace. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be sweet. And it's going to be so amazing. And you guys get a little foretaste to see it. Just so beautiful to me. I want to close with a story here. In about 19, I would say it's 1987 probably. I was six or seven years old. And I was um, living in Columbia, Missouri. And I heard that President Reagan was coming to town. And so President Reagan, uh, this was the end of his second term. And so as a kid, this was pretty exciting. I had no idea who President Reagan was, right? I'm like six. But this was going to be fun because we got to get out of school. So they let school out for the day, and we all went downtown and stood on the side of the road and waved little American flags as helicopters swirled, as snipers were on the roof, as police and horses and everything. I mean, it was like this whole event. And I'm, I'm sitting here on the side of the road, and here comes his limo. And this is after he had the assassination attempt that happened. So instead of getting out of his limo, he would talk from his limo, right? And so now he's driving down the road like this, and this is, this is so cool. I, I don't know how I remember this. It's like the only thing I remember from when I was six or seven. And the limo passes by, and, and I'm like from me to front row, right? And Reagan looks at me. He, look, he might have been looking at the guy behind me, but I'm pretty sure he looked at me. And he goes... Right? Just gave me like a thumbs up. And I'm like, oh, I just got a thumbs up from that dude, right? That's the coolest thing ever. And I'm telling everybody, and it's probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know about you guys, but that was pretty cool. I got a thumbs up from Reagan, you know? And in that moment, there's just, I mean, I'm telling you, there's like thousands of people around. There's police and car, cars and helicopters and, and snipers. But in that moment, it was just me and, I call him Ron. It was just me and Ron, you know? <laughs> in, in, in that moment, you know? And it was, it was pretty cool. He's the president. And he has a big role. We got Jesus. This is the king of heaven. This is the one that spoke the world into existence. This is the one that stepped out of heaven and was born a baby and lived a perfect life and traded places with us on the cross and went to the, empty tomb, went to the tomb and walked out and is sitting next to the Father in heaven. This is the one, the chosen one. The biggest of all, the heaviest, the most kavodi, the, the greatest. And here he is, just with Peter, James, and John, revealing his greatness. It's just Peter and James and John and Jesus. And I think there's this beautiful reality that when we encounter Jesus, when we come to Jesus, it's just you and him, you and the king of the, of the universe together. And I think this is what Christmas is all about. It's this beautiful picture that Jesus laid aside all of that. He stepped out of the limo, right? And he walks up to us. And he says, here I am. 
You want life? Here I am. You want peace? Here I am. You want joy? Here I am. And he calls us to follow after him. The reality is Peter, James, and John would have never experienced this if they wouldn't have listened and followed Jesus up the mountain. And the reality for you and me is that if we're going to see who Jesus really is, we've got to get close enough to him for him to reveal it to us. Otherwise, we're just going to be listening to what other people have to say. But I'm sure James, Peter, and John are really glad they did because you can you imagine the awe and the wonder in their eyes and in their hearts and in their minds when they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And I want to ask you guys, one week out of Christmas, do you have that same awe and wonder? Like when you think of Jesus and who he is and why he came, do you have the awe and the wonder of Peter, James, and John? The awe and the wonder of the shepherds after they went and saw Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And if you don't, my encouragement is you to, to you is to go and to get it. Because it's, it's the awe and the wonder that draws us closer and closer to him. And you might say, well, how do we do that? Well, let me give you an idea. It actually comes from Matthew 2 and the Christmas story. Matthew tells us that there came this group of wise men from the east. You guys know the story. There came this group of wise men from the east, and, and they come, and they're seeking this star to follow Jesus. And they come to, to Jerusalem, and they're asking King, King Herod, where's this, where's this king of the Jews? And they follow the star to Bethlehem, and it says this. Notice this, Matthew 2, verse 10. It says that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They offered their gifts. They offered him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. What did they do? They worshipped him. How do you and I recapture the awe and the wonder in our lives? We do it by worshipping him. And that means... Sometimes we've got to slow down. And we've got to take a knee. And we need to, whether it's a physical knee or if you've got bad knees, it's figurative. But we've got to take a knee. And we've got to raise up our hands. And we need to worship Jesus. And we need to present him with the gifts, whatever we have. The gifts of honor. And the gifts of respect. And the gifts of admiration. And our time and our talent, our treasure. Because Jesus is due all the respect. And there's just something to an attitude of worship. When we get down on our knees and we have this heart posture where we say, Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you because you know what's best. Lead me on the path to life. Show me how I'm supposed to live. Jesus, show me your glory. This Christmas, my encouragement to you is let's just get down on our knees. Let's ask God to reveal to us who he truly is and to show us the way. Forefront, I just want to take a moment here. And I want to encourage you guys, wherever you are, if you're at home, I'd encourage you to do this too. Let's take a knee. If you're in your seat, Feel free to drop to a knee. 
or put your hands in your head, your head in your hands, or come to the front and just bow at the very front of the stage. We'll have a prayer team off in the, in the corners, but let's just take a moment and let's worship. Let's just open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to Jesus and ask him this Christmas to show us who he really is. Let's take a moment and then I'll close us in prayer. Jesus, you are so good that you call us to come to you to bring whatever we're carrying, to bring whatever's on our heart or our minds. You call us to just come to you and lay it at your feet, to come to you and we'll find rest when we're weary, to come to you and we'll find life and streams of living water and light and beauty, and joy, and peace. And it's all found in your name. Father, we come to you today, and we just say, here it is. We worship you. We know that you are the king. So we lay it all at your feet. And we ask that you show us your glory, that you help us to, to learn to set all the other things to the side, to turn our hearts to you, to worship you, because you are the king of heaven, and you came down for us. Father, we thank you for just this beautiful picture that you show us of Peter, James, and John all together on the mountaintop with Jesus, seeing his glory so they can tell us about it. They can remind us of who you are and why you came. And help us to take that truth and put it in our hearts and to, to show your love and your light and your good news to everyone in our lives because it truly is the most beautiful thing in the universe. So Father, this week, help us to be people of worship, people who take a knee, people who say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you even when it's hard even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense, but I'm gonna follow you because in you, you have the words of life. Help us this Christmas draw closer to you and to seek your glory and your goodness and your grace. That's in Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.